Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode nine, and I'm excited to bring you my interview with Reverend Brian Johnson, the senior pastor of Tomoka United Methodist Church in Ormond Beach, Florida. He just moved there this last summer, and this is his first time serving as a senior pastor after having spent a couple years as an associate pastor at a large church. And today's conversation touches on lots of different topics related to that transition. And fun fact, of course, all of these conversations are recorded in advance, but though this is episode nine and Brian is technically our fifth guest, this is the very first interview I recorded last fall. So I am excited to bring you my conversation with Reverend Brian Johnson. Well, I am excited to welcome into the podcast today, Reverend Brian Johnson, the senior pastor at Tomoka United Methodist Church in Ormond Beach, Florida. Ormond Beach is slightly north of Daytona Beach. Brian, is that a fair assessment of how most people would be able to figure out where you are? Pretty much. If you stand on the pier and look north, that's us. You have just been at Tomoka for a couple months now. We United Methodist pastors do tend to move around on occasion, and you have gone from being an associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Orlando, Florida, which is downtown, to mm-hmm. Tomoka United Methodist Church in Ormond Beach. But before we jump into the details of your process and all that, is there anything about yourself or your family or your uh, context there in ministry that you'd like the folks to know about? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks, Dan. I mean, I'm really excited to be a part of this, and um, I'm excited for what you're doing. I think what you're going to offer to the church uh, and to leaders is is going to be phenomenal. Thanks. You've got a you've got a niche that you can provide. I think that's unlike a lot of others out there. So I'm excited for you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I am uh, above other things. I'm a, a husband and a new father. So I've got a almost two year old. This also just popped in my head. I'm a first generation pastor. And so this, I'm also uh, became a Christian later in life. So I didn't really grow up around the church. Um, For me, when we're talking about preaching, that influences me a lot. But uh, I'm originally from Virginia. Uh, I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm a Florida transplant. Like this is where I was supposed to be born. And I just kind of got mixed up and sent to Virginia. (laughs) So um, so that's a little bit about me. The, the church I serve here uh, in Ormond Beach, it's mostly a retirement community, uh, but we have a lot of families in their 40s also. So the church is mostly what I call active retirees. Um, they've still got a lot of energy, and, and they're still able to do a lot with their discretionary time. Uh, and then we actually have a few families. Um, and the cool thing, Dan, is we have a, uh, an elementary school literally across the street. I can look out my window and see it. That's and, awesome. And we have a good relationship. So, As we mentioned, and obviously you have, have just hearing that, the Tomoka United Methodist Church community and context is different than the downtown mm. Orlando context. But uh, also moving from being an associate pastor to a senior pastor has mm-hmm. obviously also been a big change. And when we specifically look at the responsibility of preaching, for a time you did have a service at First Methodist in Orlando that you were the primary preacher and responsible for. Um, but on, I guess for the regular Sunday morning services, Mm -hmm. you were, you played that associate role where maybe you were once a month or once every, uh, six weeks or eight weeks and, and maybe filling in. And so as you move from that context of downtown Orlando, being the associate, uh, especially on Sunday mornings to being the senior pastor at the church that you're at now, um, what's been the biggest change for you? You know, the biggest change was that I went from from preaching to a downtown community uh, where the potential and, and the place I focused most of my sermons was towards the 20 and 30-year-olds that we were hoping to attract. 
um, into a whole new context of um, retirees uh, into a place that has a different socioeconomic level. And, and I realized that that has had to change me a lot. I mean, I don't know a lot about retirement. So how do you, how do you talk about the word of God to someone and you don't really know where they're at in life? That's been a challenge for me. Really, it sounds to me like your biggest challenge up front has not been the change in the quantity of opportunities to mm-hmm. preach, but in the context itself, which is, a, which is a change that anyone has moving from church to church, no matter what their previous and, and future roles are. Uh, for me, I have a rhythm of preparation, and uh, I make a lot of lists, and I try to be more productive because I'm not. Um, <laughs> so for me, it just meant taking my list that I bring out each time I would sit down to preach and just bringing that out each week. Okay. In some ways, it's easier now because I have an ongoing rhythm of preparation. Uh, yeah, so the hardest thing for me is just trying to really understand my context. You know, how, how does this scripture speak to these people where they're at today? Hmm. And can you explain that list for us so you go through your process? Yeah, sure. It's, um, I have to say that most of the things I do are kind of picked up from other places, but I've got a confession to make. I don't know if you know this, Dan. I never had a preaching class when I was in seminary. <laughs> How'd you get away with that one? Well, I had exegetical classes. I had um, all the inductive Bible study stuff, a ton of that. Uh-huh. So I've kind of had to self-teach myself. So I've pulled from a lot of different resources over time. Um, but getting back to my week, I kind of space it out into like nine different things. I mean, do you want me to look at those? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I begin where you have to begin uh, with exegesis and with prayer and just trying to be open to what the scripture is saying. Um, I really struggle not trying to bring the sermon series into the scripture, but trying to allow that stuff to come out, you know? Yeah. Um, So I spend probably a good two and a half to three hours just on the front end, just trying to understand all the nuances of the words in the scripture. Um, From there, I kind of boil down my points into... Um, main ideas. I've been doing a mind map and just trying to get all that stuff on a page and seeing where the connections are. Um, I could talk about this a little bit later, but I've actually just made the switch from manuscript at my old church. And I came here, I did manuscript. It didn't seem like it worked. Mm. So I've gone to um, preaching from an outline. Okay. So that's changed my process a little bit. Um, But then I got to go through my writing drafts, the first draft, final copy, um, but on my checklist each week, uh, I include a whole other set of making sure that I remember to do a children's moment. Uh, I make a, a one-page heading with all the stuff that I need to remember that week for worship, like uh, I need a prayer here and I want to focus on this. And I want to thank this group and I want to write that down, you know? Yeah. Um, I've got a to-do action item on my list each week of make whatever slides I need and send those to our guy who does slides. Um and then I keep a running task just to make sure I don't forget that if there's anything I need to set up in the space uh, or any kind of like response after the sermon that I want people to do. Um, so I try to put all that stuff on my list so that it just shows up every week and I don't have to remember on Saturday night like, oh, no, yeah. I didn't put communion together. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. And, and is this a list that you keep on paper? Is this a list you keep in Evernote? Is it a little bit of both? What's your, what's your, what are yeah. the tools that you use to keep track of all this? Well, sure. I'll, I'll hit that briefly. I'm, I'm kind of a Michael Hyatt uh, junkie. <laughs> right. Um, so I've switched a while ago to do everything that I can digital. So I make 
strong use of Evernote. Um, I got a scanner just so I can make sure to have it right here on my desk. So Evernote is just really for me a digital filing cabinet. Everything just ends up in there. Okay. Um, and then I use a software. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, but I call it Nosebe. Okay. N-O-Z-B-E. Um, and it's just a great task list software. Um, it, and what I do for my sermons is I've created a template. So I'm finished for this week. In my preparation for next week, I just go ahead and click to create that one again, and it just populates all those projects, that project, right into my task list for next week. Now, one of the things I found when I moved from being an occasional preacher to uh, a weekly preacher or regular preacher is actually my sermon length went down. Now, some of it, I hope, is just me getting better over time (laughs) and being a better steward of people's time and and honing my ideas more. But when I was only preaching once a month or, or I was in campus ministry, so maybe three times in a semester... I had worked up and saved up so much to say because I had six (laughs) weeks to prepare my next message, or it's an idea that I had all summer and I had to wait until September or October to get it out. I think there was one semester I did a three-week series, and I might have done one other sermon, but that was it. And so I worked for you know six months on this three-week series, and practically every week was like 45 minutes, 50 (laughs) minutes. And some of our listeners out there are used to that, but uh, this was certainly not the normal normal for my context and certainly not the normal in your average United Methodist church, at least here uh, in Florida. And so have you, so for, so for me, when I was preaching more regularly, I knew that I spoke last week, I'm speaking today, I'm going to be speaking again next week. I, I don't have to get everything I've ever thought of out, uh, you know, because I know the opportunities coming around. So my sermon length went down. Have you yeah. noticed any sort of weird things that have shifted like that for you? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I had to sit down and write the newsletter, you know, the, the newsletter that every church has, <laughs> right? you know, and, and as an associate, I didn't even really think about that stuff. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even put an article together this month because I thought, you know, man, I've got an outlet for everything that I want to share or encourage the congregation on. Yeah. And I don't even know what to write to them about. So it took me longer to put that half a page article together than, than most of the craft of my sermon, you know? And I think, too, there's a chance once you get to know your people better. Uh, I know my newsletter articles uh, improve the second year round uh, mm. as you sort of know the rhythm of the community. It's weird, too, because oftentimes you're writing them six weeks ahead of when they go out or two weeks <laughs> yeah. ahead of when they go out. Or, you know, if you're writing the uh, November newsletter article in the middle of October, it mm. hasn't even been Halloween yet, and you're maybe writing about Thanksgiving, and it's uh, it's one of those weird things where you're, you're trying to time shift and think of what will my congregation need to hear at that point, or what do I want to say about that, and you maybe haven't even planned that far in, in your sermons. So yeah, let me ask you this, as far as content creation goes, how far out have you planned? Uh, how far out would you like uh, to be planned ideally, and uh, have you run up against that fear of the well running dry as far as uh, sermon ideas, sermon series ideas, content goes? Yeah, it's been an in- that's been an interesting change too. Um, again, like I said, not having a preaching class, I- I've tried to look at other people's process, and in this area, I've learned a lot from Andy Stanley and Adam Hamilton. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, what I would love is to have a year mapped out of just broad topics that kind of fit into our natural calendar. Um, where I'd love to go from there is to work with a, a worship team quarterly 
where we can sit down and look at the next quarter that's coming up. Right now, um, I've got planned out up to Advent. Um, I've ordered a series that I wanted to look at um, on Advent. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for that to come in. But ideally, I'd like that kind of quarterly time period to happen. But that takes a lot of work. It does take a lot of work, and you always want it done, mm-hmm. and you know that it's going to be super helpful once you get it done, but you never feel like you have the time to do it. Th- that's right. Yeah. When do you set aside time for that? Right. Right. Going back to the difference between where you were and where you are now, when you were at First Methodist Orlando and you did have the opportunity to preach on Sunday mornings, were you in control of what you were preaching or were you assigned a scripture and a topic? Were you assigned a week in a series? Were you guys lectionary? And uh, and how is it different now that you have full control over what you're preaching? Yeah. Yeah, we were lectionary in season, you know, Advent, uh, Lent, Pentecost— and then we're a series kind of outside of that. Um, you know, the thing that my senior pastor was always good to do was to say, you know, this is the series we're in. This is the scripture I think fits with it. But, you know, you do you. And uh, so he was good about saying, here's what I'm looking for. And I think you could go this direction. But I want you to come out with your voice and, and what you feel is important to share. That's great. Yeah, that's, that was a gift. Um, the problem with that, though, is you get going through this series and— you know, if you're the the third person to preach in the row, you know, I oftentimes felt like, man, I'm just taking this series in a different direction. Right, right. And I, I can't shoehorn myself down this road, you know, because it it wasn't me. It wasn't my vision. Um, <laughs> it's like you're getting a four course meal at an Italian restaurant and you bring out tacos for like the main <laughs> I, the main dish. I did. I brought tacos a lot, man. <laughs> and, you know, there was at least twice where I was the kickoff for the sermon series. Okay. But, but the senior pastor would finish it. And that felt weird. Um, and I, I shared that, too. But it just it's the way it worked out. Because, uh, you know, with the first sermon in a series, you're, you're trying to cast the vision for where you're going to go or, or open up, you know, this book is talking about this. And I don't, I don't know that I, that always really worked. But I did yeah. it. And we went with it. So how do you, do you have a plan for keeping yourself uh, fresh? Do you take regular weeks off? Do you take uh, regular vacation? Do you bring in guest preachers even when you're going to be there? Um, how do you, how do you anticipate, uh, you know, keeping that well filled, uh, not just content wise, but, but spiritually keeping your, you know, your voice strong, keeping your focus uh, and keeping your love for Sunday mornings? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I appreciated you, Dan, sending me some of these questions ahead of time. And when you <laughs> sent me that one, I kind of thought, I mean, I actually think I wrote down in my sketch answers, uh, thanks, Dan, I'll work on this. <laughs> okay. But but I do have some things with that. Um, you know, one thing I found was when I wasn't preaching regularly, I mean, I had ideas for sermons and series, like you were saying earlier. I mean, they just, they just came at me. Yeah. And, and now it's like... Um, I don't have much to work with here, you know? <laughs> right, right. So I'm really grateful that whenever I had that, that's where Evernote is a lifesaver for me. I, anytime I feel like I have a decent or a good idea or something I want to come back to, I just, I dump it into a file in Evernote called uh, Future Sermons and Series. And I've probably got like a year and a half worth of content in there. Um, so right now, when I don't feel like I have something compelling um, for the next couple of months, I jump back in there, I take a look, and some of that stuff doesn't work, but every now and then I'll either use an idea or it'll spark a new one. Um, So having some kind of box where I can just dump ideas and illustrations and quotes 
where I can go back and leaf through later. I mean, that's essential for oh, keeping absolutely. me fresh. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of staying fresh, you know, in the Florida conference that we get four weeks of vacation. Um, and for some people in the regular world, they have two weeks and that's it. And there's a back and forth about that, but, but I try my best to take all four weeks pending some unforeseen circumstance. And does that include Sundays? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, what I'll do is I'll actually stagger it so that I'm out at least, I can't take two weeks vacation and only have one Sunday off. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Okay. Um, and I can't prepare a sermon two weeks out and show back up and preach it. Right. right. I'm still in the place where I, I like to work on it the same week, just so I've kind of lived it that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if I take two weeks, I'll take two Sundays. Um, and this church is great. We've got a retired uh, elder, uh, retired pastor, who actually served this church as an associate a long time ago. Um, and she is wonderful. She's a great preacher. So I have no... I'm fortunate in that I have someone who is skilled and a part of the congregation who can just step up whenever I need to be away. That's awesome. That's a really valuable resource. I also had a retired clergy person. That's a super valuable thing to have in a congregation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a gift to have her. She's been, she's been the biggest help since I got here. So yeah. That's wonderful. Well, you mentioned at the beginning when you were talking about yourself and your context and your history that you were someone who did not grow up in the church or grow up as a person of faith, that you came to that later. How does that shape how you approach the act of preaching? I think I've realized over time, you know, it it means that I know that I'm preaching to people who may not even be in that worship service today. But if we don't even begin to address someone who's far from God in a worship service, when they do show up, are they ever going to hear anything? Uh, and then on the other side, too, I think it reminds the congregation that, that hey, it's not just about all of us who are sitting in this building, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think I can't help it. I think it just means that most of my sermons are focused probably a little more evangel- evangelistically, mm-hmm. um, that they have application for people to, to go and to do or to go and to share you know, here's the nugget of truth today. Find some way to share that with someone else. Um, so for me, I can see where it really shapes how I preach. You know, I'll back up to say, in, in all of my sermons, I think my unspoken goal is to help people to realize that, that the Scripture meets them in their everyday life mm. and that God wants to work in their everyday life. Um, so I don't use a lot of preacher stories And I try not to use my own stories as much because they're just pastor stories, you know? Right. I I try to use stories of like a friend or someone else or sometime when I experienced something that everyone else experiences. I went to Publix, but I paid attention and I found someone in need and and God allowed me to meet them in their need, you know? So that the next time someone else goes to Publix, they'll say, I wonder if God could use me here too. That's great. And that... For me, the, the, the feedback over the years has been people see where God can be at work in their own life. And, and I think that's something God has taught me, so I try to share. So most of my sermons come out looking a lot like that. That's great. Well, we have a set of questions that uh, we plan on asking all of the, the guests, and these will probably shift from time to time. But uh, okay. as you may be able to tell from some of the questions, I'm a fan of the Tim Ferriss podcast, um, and he has a set of great questions that he asks each and every person. Uh, the first one is obviously not one that he asked because it's very preaching related, but you touched on it earlier. Um, you went from preaching manuscript 
script to now preaching with an outline. Uh, and you said it was contextual, or at least the way that the people were uh, receiving it. Why did you make that change? And do you anticipate eventually moving to being without notes? Or uh... That's great. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, going back to where I was, first Orlando, one of the things they had was in their 11 o'clock service, a long history of kind of rich theological sermons. Uh, and so for me, using a manuscript was really the best way to connect with that audience because it gave me the chance to really flesh out ideas and really put together some complex stuff, mm-hmm. which a lot of people would say that's that's not right. But for that audience right there, it worked. Right. But, I, you know, I did manuscript script preaching for a few weeks here, and I realized, one, my manuscript is kind of up there as a crutch. Uh, and, and in part, I was writing a manuscript and almost walking away from the thing, from the sermon. And so it was like, I know that when I get up there on Sunday, if I just read this thing, then I'll be good and I can kind of go about my life. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and I didn't feel like I was really, I felt like I was missing the in the moment, in the spirit connection. Because I knew all I had to do was just be with that manuscript. Right. So, you, you could be familiar with it, but you didn't necessarily need to sort of internalize all of it. Right, right. So I switched to notes in part because I realized I didn't need to read it, um, in part because I wanted to be, I'd like to be a preacher. It feels more natural to me, personally, to have an idea, a story, a a sermon that I've worked through enough and internalized enough where I can present it in a logical flow. And in doing that, allow myself the connection with the congregation. Hmm. One thing I'd love to get to, I think our modern world kind of needs this, is a little more dialogical preaching where we can have times of open questions and open feedback that kind of carries through the sermon time. Another question, who have been the most influential preachers and or communicators in your life and why? And so I guess for you, especially not having grown up in the church, you, you, you're you not necessarily going to say, you know, the preacher I listened to every Sunday when I was six years old. You know, who, who are the preachers, communicators, teachers that uh, have had a, a, a big impact? Yeah, there's kind of three that come to mind. Well, maybe a few more. In seminary, in our, our Florida Conference, Methodist people will know of Steve Harper, Um, and Candace Brooks. Right. So they were both preachers who I would look at and think, man, that's great. I'd love to be able to do something like that. Um, I had a series of other preachers of just, um, they're they're not anybody that people would really necessarily know nationwide, but there's one guy in the Georgia conference, uh, Sam Vernon. His big thing was you can tell that he cared about someone, you know, and he preached discipleship and one-to-one mentoring. Um, Another guy over in Windermere named Troy Schmidt, who, who just kind of brought the Bible to life and made it relevant for one of the first times that I'd experienced, but had done it in very creative ways. He was good at pushing the box. You know, that was the first time I ever saw a NUMA video, and this was like 2000. Right, right. Back when <laughs> people were like, what, is that? what does that mean? How do you say that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you watch a DVD for a worship service? No, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought about this question when you asked it. And I never really felt like I wanted to preach like someone else. I think God helped me to see that these people were great preachers because they just used their voice. Right. And so I've always been trying to get to this place to really understand, like, what is my voice, my style, and to really try to lead from there. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like Andy Stanley because that's who he is. I want to sound like Brian Johnson. 
so that's why, so when I'm looking for my voice, I'm trying to always get back to what is the most authentic me and how do I present that on a Sunday morning? Hmm. And that's hard. <laughs> it, it, it can be, it certainly can be. And uh, I, I admire you for that. Cause I know that I had a period of time where, um, I was trying to sound like the people I admired or the people that I thought were great preachers. But you mentioned, <laughs> uh, you mentioned Candace Brooks. She's actually your predecessor there at Tomoka. Oh, so man, that's, yeah. that's gotta be a kind of a cool opportunity to follow in her footsteps after she's had such an influence on your life. Yeah. I mean, how do you follow the person that you, that you look up to as probably one of the greatest preachers that you know, <laughs> and think like, and she's so far along in her craft and in her ministry. And here I am coming into just my second church, my, my fourth year of ministry, <laughs> Right. you know, like these people have been spoiled. What are they going to get with me? <laughs> right. Right. And, and you're thinking, and the Bishop thinks that I can carry this on. Like <laughs> exactly. That, that there's exactly. some kind of continuity there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you you talked uh, about how you are constantly looking for uh, things to fill that well of content. Uh, are there, uh, and, and unfortunately, you did not have any great preaching textbooks from your non-existent uh, seminary preaching class. Are there any books or documentaries or blogs or, or areas that have been fruitful for you, either for content or for just understanding the craft of preaching better? Anything you might recommend for folks out there? Yeah, let me hit a couple things that have been helpful to me. Um, podcast. I mean, I love listening to podcasts, and so some of my go-to's are one called Sermon Brainwave. Okay, uh, and it's it's a lectionary-based conversation about all four of the scriptures for that coming week. So that's fun to hear. Uh, there's one called Sermon Smith podcast, and really, it's it's an interview on different people's methods of preaching, and so you just get to hear some of the creative process that others have. Um, uh, Chad Brooks does a thing called the productive pastor, and he's done a lot of work on that in particular about productivity, but in particular about opening up his own sermon process. Right. Um, that was cool. Uh, in terms of books, I was at a conference and Leonard Sweet spoke, uh, which is a gift in itself. And he wrote a book called giving blood. And I think it's one of his newer ones. It's about the craft of preaching, but it's a lot of fun to read. He's got pictures and it's engaging, <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. His whole premise there is seminary teaches us to break down words, and he says we're missing the story, the narrative of Scripture when we do that. And so we've got to preach not the words but the story. Hmm. Um, it's a really engaging read, so I've enjoyed that. Um, those have been some of the best ones that I've come across. Uh, I've been playing around with Andy Stanley's I think it comes from his Communicating for Change, which okay. I haven't read, but I read his article, where he says, you know, your sermon can be me, we, God, you, us. Right, right. So that gives me a form to use in my toolbox. Uh, the other, probably the second best form that I go to is, is a book called The Four Pages of the Sermon. I'm looking at it on my shelf, and it says Wilson on it, Four Pages of the Sermon. And that's great because he gives you a layout where you look at the bad news in Scripture, and how the good news answers that. Hmm. And you make a comparison to the bad news in the world and how the scriptures answer the, the good news in the world. So that's a, a very helpful tool to begin to organize the flow of the sermon each week. So those are my, those are my go-tos right there. That's awesome. 
Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. And before we let you go, is there a way that uh, if there's anyone out there that wants to get in touch, say hi, maybe reach out to you on social media? Is there a way that you uh, would like to to offer to folks to get in touch? Yeah, I do Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, you can find me at Rev Johnson Brian, or on Instagram, you can find me at Johnson Brian. So last name first first name there you go so facebook is the holy channel and instagram mm-hmm. is just the just the human channel yeah the guy who has johnson Bryan on facebook has graciously agreed to not release that to me <laughs> there you go so you, you you had to play that title card in there you know now that now that you're ordained yeah i did that's awesome. Well, Brian, thank you again so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. I feel like you've given us a window into your process uh, and and uh, given us a lot to think about, both your your um, you know successes and also your struggles, your growth areas, the things that you're still working on. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. This has been awesome. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much for joining me for episode nine of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. And as always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your voice to be a part of the conversation. You can connect with the show through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. And if you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and you want other people to find it. Huge thank you to Brian for being my guest today. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.